Happy Sunday morning. I'm so glad that you're spending time with us this morning to worship, to hear the preaching of the Word. God has been so good to us, and there's no doubt about that. You know, I'm really excited about the life of our church, as this is going to be the last pre-recorded sermon before we re-enter our auditorium. This is the last Sunday that our people in person are going to be worshiping in the FLC because next Sunday will be our grand reveal of our auditorium renovation. We're so glad. God has blessed us so much. And you know, we're not doing this just so we'll have a pretty auditorium. We're doing this because we want to update our auditorium to where it is a presentable, nice place to worship our Lord. Because our goal as a church, in our mission statement, our purpose statement, our vision, is that we want to reach our community, and we want to reach our world for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've got to have a place to do that, a place that is presentable, and a place that has a worshipful environment. So I am so, so glad. I hope that you are too. Um, I hope that you'll make uh, time to be here next Sunday to really enjoy what's going to be happening. If you decide to watch on live stream or you decide to um, utilize our satellite area here on campus, you're going to be seeing the service live. Not like right now where this is pre-recorded, but you're going to see live what's going on in the new auditorium. And I'm so, so glad and so expectant that God is going to do mighty things in the life of our church. So today, this is going to be the last sermon in our, mar in our series, Marriage in the 21st Century. And as we've systematically gone through the Bible and we've talked about what God has to say about marriage, it's been quite interesting to me to see just how much God talks about the relationship of marriage, how it is consistently mentioned from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and how God has set this design forth in a way that brings Him glory and that reflects the reality of marriage in that it is to be a mirror image of Jesus and his relationship with the church. So today's message title is A Flawless Design. A Flawless Design. Again, this is our last message in our series, Marriage in the 21st Century. So I want to start with just telling you a little story. There was a woman who once told about her and her husband. Now, they were in their first year of marriage. They were living in an apartment, and they came to realize that there was actually a mouse cohabiting their apartment with them. Well, of course, for the young lady, this was completely unacceptable. We have to get rid of the mouse, right? So the husband concocts a little cage and a little trap to trap this mouse. And they leave one day, and when they come back home from work at that evening, they find that they've trapped the mouse, right? The problem is, is that it was a live trap. So now the couple was left with the decision, what do we do with this mouse? Well, they didn't want to just let it go. They were afraid that it would just come right back to the apartment. So as they talked about it, the couple decided, we're going to kill the mouse, right? But then again, it was unacceptable for them to kill the mouse in cold blood, as they put it. So they decided to drown the mouse, which I think personally is probably worse than killing it in cold blood, but whatever, right? So the husband fills a bucket full of water. The mouse is still in the cage. He drops the cage in the bucket of water, and they leave because they don't want to be witnesses to this horrifying event, right? Well, they go away for a couple hours and they think to themselves, surely this mouse is going to be dead when we get back. Surely he's going to drown and we can get rid of him and we don't have to worry about him anymore. Well, when they come back to their apartment, they look in the bucket and they find that the mouse has found a way to just barely stand on his tippy toes and stick his nose above the water right where there's a little bit of space of air between the top of the cage and the surface of the water. The mouse actually survived. And when the woman was telling this story, she was telling it in relation to her marriage. She said the same way that this mouse, somehow he survived, but it was just barely by the tip of his toe. She said, I survived my first year of marriage the same way. 
that marriage is hard. Marriage is difficult. And sometimes in the marriage relationship, there is going to be times where you feel like you are standing on that tiptoe in a bucket of water, just barely getting air. And, and that's understandable. And I think in our society today, marriage is under attack to the extent that more and more people feel that way. Basically, people are in the marriage relationship, and it's more of a survival mode than it is a joy and a freedom and a liberty in that relationship. It's all about striving to just make it and to survive. And see, God did not intend for marriage to be survival. God intended for marriage to be great and wonderful and joyous. So today, as we look at how God has designed marriage, we're going to see that this flawless design is so flawless and so perfect that it can supersede above all the imperfections that we have as human beings. That marriage is so perfectly designed by our God that no matter what comes your way in life, if you adhere to God's commands when it comes to marriage and you have a heart of love for God and a heart of love for your spouse, you are going to be able to not just get through and struggle through situations, but you're going to be able to thrive and you're going to be able to have joy and peace as you do that. So the scripture that I want us to read out of this morning is in 1 Peter chapter 3. So if you will, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. And again, the title of this message is A Flawless Design. So as you're finding your place there, We'll begin reading in 1 Peter 3, verse 1. The Bible says this, In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live, when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry, but rather what is inside the heart the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Let's pray. Dear God, we are so thankful for your word this morning. We are thankful, God, for the design of marriage in that it is flawless. It was created by you, God, in the Garden of Eden before sin even entered in. Marriage was your design. And today, God, we have this flawless design that you've given us to enjoy and to live by. And God, today I pray that your word would speak to the hearts of husbands and wives, of those single who may wish to be married someday, Lord, that you might bless them with your word. That God, the marriages of Pole Creek, the marriages of Candler, the marriages, God, of our community would be that flawless design, that we would not abandon what you've given us as a gift, Lord, but that we would adhere to it, hold tightly to it, and elevate it, God, to the, to the status of importance that you intended for it to be. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the, there's a couple of different things that we're going to see here in this passage of Scripture about this flawless design. Okay, and there's two primarily that I want us to focus on for the purpose of this message. And the first aspect of this design is that it is a design that is holy. 
a design that is holy. And we see that in the first six verses of 1 Peter chapter 3. Here we have uh, Peter now. Uh, the last few weeks we've preached from Paul's letters. We've preached from Ephesians. we preached from Colossians. And we've seen that Paul's same message has been basically that wives submit to their husbands and husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church, right? Well, now we're no longer looking at one of Paul's letters. We're looking at something written by the Apostle Peter. And here, as you can hear, there is very common terminology used between Paul's letters and Peter's letter. So Peter is again reiterating the fact, beginning in verse 1, that wives should submit to their own husbands. Now, as we get down through this passage into the verses um, 4, 5, and 6 even, you're going to see that Peter begins to implore women not to be elaborate in how they dress not to um, do certain things. And the first thing that's going to come to our mind is, is that, well, this sounds a little bit male chauvinist, right? This sounds a little bit sexist in the way that this is coming across because does it really matter what, what these ladies wear? Who cares if they decide to wear jewelry? Who cares if they decide to have an elaborate hairstyle? Whatever that may be. We have to be careful to understand that Peter is writing to people who primarily were of Jewish ancestry and tradition. These were a lot of Jews who had fled Jerusalem in, in the diaspora, and when they, when they fled Jerusalem for fear of persecution, they moved into these other parts of the Middle East. And when they moved into these other parts, they, they needed to be educated more and discipled. And this letter that Peter wrote was a way to disciple these folks of Jewish ancestry. So the Jews traditionally believed, they were, they were a very patriarchal society, which means they were very male-driven. They believed that women were to be homemakers, that women were to stay home and do the work of the family. Women rarely worked outside of the home, and their primary role was working within the home, and that involved cooking, grinding flour, laundering clothes, and spinning wool. Women were also responsible for acts of hospitality and caring for guests who may have come to visit. So again, we're looking at a traditionally Hebrew culture and Hebrew context here in 1 Peter, and we are trying to apply that to a 21st century understanding of American culture and the American family. Now, I'll be the first to say that the American family has many, many flaws, that there are many things that we can learn from the Hebrew culture and the Hebrew tradition that we would do very well sometimes to adhere to their same traditional beliefs. But I am not saying that a woman should not be able to work outside the home. I am not saying that a woman should not be able to even make more money than her husband. And I'm certainly not even saying that a man should even be able to stay home and the woman work. We understand that in the 21st century that sometimes these things happen, and that's our culture and that's our tradition. And sometimes it's okay to adhere to different traditions and cultures as long as it doesn't contradict the Word of God. But what Peter is trying to get at here about wives submitting yourselves to your own husbands so that if some disobey the word they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live he's wanting to get at a heart issue he's wanting to really reveal what is in the heart of the wife he's saying this in verse 2 when they observe your pure reverent lives don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry. And some other versions even talk about putting on clothes, uh, fancy clothes. But in verse 4, but rather what is inside the heart? The imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. 
You know, the interesting thing about the scripture here, you know, the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And then as we've gotten our English translations, good translations are the translations that are translated directly from the original language, which is the Greek, into English. That way we have a more pure, consistent word of the original. So when we think about the Greek language, whenever the uh, translators began to work through this, when Peter is talking about these elaborate hairstyles, to, to, to not... Um, wear these elaborate hairstyles. He used a Greek word that actually meant intertwining of the hair in an ornamental way. All right. Now, interestingly enough, this is the only place in the entire New Testament where this particular Greek word is used. If you go on down in verse 3, he talks about the wearing of gold jewelry. Well, the Greek word here used for wearing actually means to put around and refers to putting crowns on the head or bracelets on the arms. And here again, that word used for putting on or wearing is the only time in the New Testament that that Greek word is used. Some of your versions will also say in verse 3, putting on fancy clothes or putting on elaborate clothes. Well, interestingly enough, the Greek word used there for putting on in the Septuagint is the word used when Esther put on her royal robe before she went into the king. So here among these three different examples of elaborate dress or trying to enhance one's appearance on the outside, you continually see God specifically focusing on the aspect of we are not to be outwardly focused. That even the part of putting on clothes would be considered as a queen putting on her royal robe. And God does not want us to be minded that way. God does not want us to be focused on our outward appearance or on what people think of us. Now, in the marriage relationship, as he's talking here about wives, again, we're talking about this design is holy. The flawless design of marriage is holy. And what he's saying here is, is that women, if you are married to a man who does not honor God, that you, knowing Jesus Christ, have an influence in your husband's life that no one else has. And that you, in this marriage relationship, this flawless design, you can exercise your Christ-like heart and life in your husband's life in a way to bring him to Jesus. That because you know Christ, you're going to be able to make your marriage holy. That if you honor God in how you live, in having a pure heart as a lady, you're going to be able to win your husband to Jesus. And men, in the same way, even though this verse is specifically talking to wives, husbands, the same thing applies to you. That because the marriage relationship is a holy design, that holiness is is seen. Holiness is brought to the surface when marriage is done the right way. And here's the thing, is that marriage is holy not because the people who are married are necessarily holy. Marriage is holy because God made it and God designed it. He designed it perfectly as it is. It is a design that is holy. And here's the thing about marriages, and I, and I want you guys to listen to this carefully. If you are living a certain way in your married life, that is pulling your husband or pulling your wife away from Jesus, you are going against God's holy design. You must live within the marriage relationship with a pure heart, as 1 Peter 3 is saying, so that your reason for marriage is that you would bring your spouse closer to Jesus. You can literally be what initiates your spouse's love for God 
love for the word, love for church. You can encourage that and build that. And that's what God intended is that we would not pull each other away from our creator. But in this flawless design, this design that is holy, that we would help make our spouses more holy because of our encouragement to them that they would come closer to the Lord Jesus. Verse 5 says this, For in the past the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Now, let's be careful here. We're not saying that any of you ladies should call your husband Lord, okay? Again, that was a traditional Hebrew cultural thing that would have been acceptable in that culture. It's not acceptable in our culture. However, the idea here is that women of old, the women of that Hebrew tradition, instead of adorning themselves with gold, elaborate hairstyles, fancy clothes, they adorned themselves with a pure heart. That their adorning was had nothing to do with their outward appearance. Although they took care of themselves, although you know they, they stayed clean, although all that was in, in play, they did not focus on trying to adorn themselves to impress people. But their adorning was of the heart, and they submitted to their husbands in a way that it brought forth their true colors. It brought forth who they really were on the inside because of their meekness, their humility, and their submission to God's flawless design called marriage. Husbands, I'm going to implore you to do the same thing. Husbands, you should not be focusing on the outward appearance. You should not be focusing on your own or your wives. You should be focusing on the things of the heart. The adorning of yourself with godly principles, godly values, a pure heart that loves Jesus and loves your wife as Christ loved the church. It's so very important. And ladies, Sarah is your example. Men, Abraham is your example, and we'll talk a little bit more about Abraham here in just a moment. So the first thing of this flawless design we see is that it is a design that is holy, but secondly, we see that it is a design that imparts value. We see that in verse 7. The, the marriage design is a design that imparts value. Verse 7 says this, Husbands, in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So here we see that God is telling women, okay, in the previous verses, in verses 4, 5, and 6, not to put crowns on their own heads. He's saying don't adorn yourself with fancy bracelets. Don't put on these fancy clothes. But here's what men need to hear in this is that no, the women should not be adorning themselves with crowns and bracelets. But men, you should be adorning your wives with crowns and bracelets. See, the name Sarah in the Hebrew language actually means princess. In the Hebrew and the Persian, the name Sarah means princess. So every time Abraham would have, would have said something to his wife and called her by name, he was essentially calling her princess. Every time. Now I want you to think about that, husbands, for just a moment. As God's word says in verse 7, husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way. He's, he's going back to what Sarah and Abraham had, had exemplified in their own marriage. He's saying in the same way that Sarah and Abraham had a relationship together, in the same way that she submitted to him and he loved her and took care of her, husbands do this as well. 
Abraham called his wife Princess. In Genesis 18, verses 6 through 8, we're going to see an event here between Abraham and Sarah. I'm going to read it, and we're going to talk about how we see them playing out as a team, loving each other, caring for each other, and how Abraham was willing to pull the weight in order that his wife would be honored and loved. It says in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 8, So Abraham hurried into the tent and said to Sarah, Quick, knead three measures of fine flour and make bread. Then Abraham ran to the herd and got a tender choice calf. He gave it to a young man who hurried to prepare it. Then Abraham took curds and milk as well as the calf that he had prepared and set them before the men. He served them as they ate under the tree. Now this is the story where it talks about in scripture, right before Sodom and Gomorrah would be destroyed, that the angel of the Lord and and two other men came with the angel of the Lord to speak to Abraham. And they began to commune about What was going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, Abraham knew that this guest was very honored, and many people believe this is what would be called a theophany, which would be an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Abraham knew the importance of this guest. So the moment that these men arrived, he ran in and asked Sarah to begin kneading the flour and getting some things ready. But see, that was only part of all that went on. Abraham pulled the heavy lifting in that situation. He immediately ran out to the herd. He got the best calf. He had someone prepare it, and then he took the curds and the milk and the calf, and he prepared everything. And then after he had prepared the meal before the men, he even waited on them and served them under the tree. See, Abraham might have been looked at as a chauvinist for asking Sarah to begin preparing, but see, he picked up the heavy lifting and he moved forward. He treated her as a princess. Men, today, God has called you to treat your wife as a princess. You know why Sarah called Abraham Lord in verse 6 of 1 Peter chapter 3? Because he treated her like a princess. Because he treated her as the valuable person that she was. He elevated her value in their marriage. And she knew it. And she felt it. And she understood it. Peter mentions this, and I think this is very important to, to realize. Even right before 1 Peter 3, you get into 1 Peter 2 where he starts out with the example of Christ. In 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 21, the Bible says this, For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Here Jesus has set the example for husbands and wives in this flawless design. Jesus loved his bride, the church, so much that he was willing to step off of his throne in glory, take on human flesh, endure suffering, endure pain, endure sadness, endure death on a criminal's cross, for his bride, the church, for you. You're the bride of Christ if you know Jesus today. And Jesus exemplified what it means to be a husband. He gave it all for his bride. Today, husbands, as we're talking about this flawless design, your marriage is never going to flourish until you give it all for your wife, until you treat her as the princess that she is. You need to take a tiara, you need to take that crown that was mentioned there previously in chapter 3, and you need to place it on the head of your wife. No, she should not put that crown herself. She should adorn herself with the purity of her heart, but you should adorn your wife 
with a crown. And be just like Abraham as he called his wife Sarah, which means princess. Husbands, you should view your wives in the exact same way. And I promise you, men and women, when we begin to conduct our marriages as God's flawless design dictates, what will follow is joy, passion, and love. And when the world looks at your marriage and you are conducting it in this way, according to the flawless design that God made, the world will see Jesus in your marriage. You may have children who are coming up in your home, whether they're biological, adopted, nieces, nephews, grandchildren, it doesn't matter. But as these children are looking at your marriage, they're going to see one of two things. They're either going to see the work of Satan in you and your spouse destroying each other, or they're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ in how you and your husband love and self-sacrifice for each other. Today, there's a lot more at stake than just your marriage relationship. What's at stake is your children's future. What's at stake is our society. What's at stake is our nation. What's at stake is the furthering of the gospel because it all begins with that flawless design of marriage that Jesus modeled for us when he gave his life on the cross for the bride. I thank you so much for joining us this morning for worship, and I pray that maybe if your marriage is turning out kind of like that mouse, and you're just trying to gasp for air, that today, that you would adhere to God's Word and that He would heal your marriage, because what I want for you, what God wants for you, is for you to have joy and peace in your marriage. Also today, maybe this is um, a, a time where you've heard the gospel for the first time, and you're really wanting to know, what does it mean to be saved, Ben? How, how can I be in a relationship with Jesus. Well, we know that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again to save the world from our sins. And all we have to do is trust by faith in Jesus, the one who did that for us, to turn from our sins and to turn from Jesus, and he'll save us. And if you want more information on how to do that or you need someone to counsel you, I just ask that you text the word SAVED to the phone number 828 373-1940. It's right there on the screen. Please utilize that, and we would love to reach out to you and to minister to you in any way that we can. Maybe you've been looking for a church to join. Maybe you just you know, are having trouble finding a church that feels like home. Well, one thing that we at Pole Creek want to do is we want to make our church your home. We want to reach out to you and love you and give you a place to feel that you belong and a place to be a part and a place to be encouraged. So if you want more information on how to connect with our church, whether it be joining or joining a small group, we ask that you simply text the word CONNECT to that same phone number. It's on your screen, 828-373-1940. And we would love to help you make Pole Creek your home. Again, thank you so much. I'm going to just end us with a word of prayer. I'm going to pray for your marriages. I'm going to pray for your families. And I'm going to pray for you during this difficult time. In Jesus' name, Lord, we come to you. We come to you today asking that you would bless the marriages of Pole Creek, the marriages of our community. We pray, God, that our people would adhere to that flawless design, the design where the wife submits to the husband, the husband loves and honors the wife, treats her as a co-heir, treats her as royalty. God, as you have commanded, Lord, that we would look at how you gave everything for the church and how you laid your life down for the church. And God, the husbands and wives would adhere to marriage in that same way, that we'd be willing to lay our lives down for each other, for our husbands and our wives. That God, that the holy design of marriage would be seen through and through. That my wife would be more holy because I draw her to you and that I would be more holy because my wife draws me to you. And God, I pray that for the marriages of our church. Lord, I pray for the children of our church, that they would grow up understanding what biblical marriage is, that they would understand that there is great value that is imparted in the marriage relationship, that 
Only in Christian marriage are women fully valued as creatures made in the image of God. Only in Christian marriage are men fully valued and honored as creatures made in the image of God. And Lord, we have a message of value. We have a message of self-worth in Christianity. God, today we have it because Jesus paid the price. So Lord, today if there's anyone under the sound of my voice who doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray God that you would show them that they're not guaranteed tomorrow, that today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would trust you today. Lord, we love you, and we're thankful for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.